Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them ran at, at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. This is intentionally a solemn service. The joyous celebration comes on the first day of the week. We solemnly observe Good Friday because we can't truly celebrate the Lord's resurrection without first deeply contemplating the cost of our salvation. Between noon and three o'clock on that day, as he hung on the cross, the earth was darkened. The Bible doesn't give us any more explanation than that. I guarantee you it wasn't just a cloudy day. It was something supernatural, something awe-striking to the people that were there, a deep darkness over the land. There's no voice from heaven to explain what the darkness meant, but Matthew makes it clear what was happening in that moment because he quotes our Lord Jesus Christ as he lifted himself up on his feet so he could gasp a breath and shout out loud, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We watch movies like The Passion of the Christ, which focus in on his incredible physical suffering. But it wasn't his physical suffering that was by far the worst. It was his spirit suffering in that moment. The darkened sky was the back of God the Father turned to his son. That experience that Christ called forsakenness by God the Father is something that you or I, hopefully, will never know what it means. What was Jesus experiencing in that moment? The only way I can even give you a small glimpse of it is to go with, to what the Word of God reveals to us 
is the nature of hell. Because there, on the cross, that is where he descended into hell. And what does the Bible tell us about hell? The scriptures are clear. The wrath of God is terrifying. It's horrifying. And I'm just going to read a few verses to you. A few. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about hell. I don't think that we could handle much more than what it tells us. I'm just going to read a few verses, and I'm not going to sensationalize it. I'm not going to speculate. I'm just going to let the word of God speak for itself. This is what Jesus tells us. And by the way, Jesus is the one who tells us by far the most about hell. Matthew 8, he says, Unbelievers will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus calls hell the place where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In Matthew 13, he tells the parable of the weeds. And he says, as he explains the meaning of that parable, he says, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in Luke 16, Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And he quotes the rich man in hell saying, I am in anguish in this flame. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, That those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. And in his visions in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John in Revelation 14 describes the lake of fire as the final abode of the unbeliever. And he says, there the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. The Bible can only describe hell in terms of earthly images that we can understand. But be assured that when the Bible speaks of either heaven or hell, in terms of earthly experiences that we can understand, that those earthly images are only a very pale shadow of the reality. That the reality is far greater and far more intense. And so from those verses that I just read, there are four basic ideas that we need to remember about the reality of hell as God's word reveals it to us. Hell is where unbelievers are cast out into outer darkness, first of all. It's eternal blindness. No light whatsoever. Of course, in scripture, light represents truth and goodness and purity and blessing and fellowship with God. And again, I don't know how much of these images are meant to be taken literally and how much we're meant to take from the spiritual meaning behind them, probably both. But hell is total darkness. 
a place where God is only present in his wrath. And there's no trace of anything that we would consider good. Secondly, according to these verses, hell is unquenchable fire, a searing, continuous pain from which there is no hope of even a momentary or small relief. Thirdly, hell is a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, unrelenting grief and sorrow, but not the sorrow of repentance, because it's accompanied with gnashing of teeth, which represents fierce anger and bitterness and frustration. And fourth, these verses tell us that hell is a place of eternal torment, eternal destruction. That's the worst part of the bad news about hell, is that it doesn't end. There's never any hope of the darkness, suffering, weeping, and gnashing of teeth ever ending. When someone has been there a hundred thousand centuries, they will be no closer to being finished than when they started. I don't bring all that up to reveal to you how horrible sin is, even though it does that. I don't bring all that up to cause you to grieve over the unbelievers in your life, although certainly it will do that. I bring all that up because you need to dwell on that, as unpleasant as it is, to understand what Jesus experienced under that darkness as he hung there on the cross and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That description of hell for an individual needs to be multiplied by hundreds of millions because Jesus Christ drank the cup of God's wrath that was reserved for all of God's people in every generation. He experienced the eternity of hell that your sins deserved and that my sins deserved. That's the cost of the salvation that we enjoy by faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Don't take that lightly. Charles Spurgeon said, Think lightly of hell, and you will think lightly of the cross. Think little of the sufferings of lost souls, and you will soon think little of the Savior who delivers you from those sufferings. What an amazing grace. Having reflected on the cost of our salvation, I'm going to ask you to turn to page 8 of your bulletin, and I'm going to ask you to read, and read carefully, read thoughtfully. What are the benefits? What are the blessings? What are the joys that are given to you by grace alone because Jesus was forsaken on the cross 
and endured hell for you. What is justification? What is adoption? What is sanctification? What benefits in this life go with or come from justification, adoption, and sanctification? What benefits do believers receive from Christ when they die? When believers And what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? Amen. Let's stand and sing.